the Andrew Carter Podcast, the best of Montreal's number one morning show. Hear Andrew live weekdays, 5.30 to 9 on CJAD 800. Yeah, let's go around the world with uh, Dan Cook. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Andrew. Good morning. Uh, tell me about uh, Syria, first of all. So this is a group. It's called Syrian Observatory for Human Rights. They're based in Britain, and they track Syria's death toll. One year ago today, Russia started their bombing campaign in support of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. And since September 30th of 2015, Russia's airstrikes have killed 9,364. The breakdown is over 2,700 members from ISIS, plus 2,800 rebels that are linked to al-Qaeda, and over 3,800 innocent civilians. Also, over 20,000 civilians have been injured in the course of one year, and right now over 100,000 children are trapped in East Aleppo. It's just such a tragedy. And the story out of uh, London, uh, this is happening in more and more big cities where people with a lot of money from other countries come in and they drive up the price of real estate. It happened in Vancouver and Toronto, yep. and it, it's happening in some neighborhoods in Montreal. What are they doing in London? So I'll give you the, this perfect example. So the, in, in May, the Guardian newspaper reported on Britain's tallest condo building. It's 50 stories and has 214 units. The problem with this story is, number one, 60% of the units are owned by foreign buyers. Number two, 25% are owned by offshore companies. And number three, even though that the building is sold out, not many people actually live there. As you mentioned, this problem's happening in Vancouver and Toronto, and it's starting in Montreal as well. And now the mayor of London says he's launching an inquiry into foreign home ownership, and here's why. Over the next 10 years, the estimates are that middle-class investors in China will spend $200 billion U.S. on foreign real estate, and that includes Toronto, mm-hmm. Montreal, and Vancouver. And how do we get in touch with these people, say, if we want to sell our house for some ridiculous amount of money? Well, you, you, have, have, an, to, you have an address or a phone number? Or something? I, I do have a big address for you. So here's the number. There are 168 cities in China that have a population in excess of 1 million people, and right now the number of them that have purchased foreign assets abroad is about 3%. So, Andrew, if you're going to call people, you're going to have to call hundreds of millions of well, people. Maybe there's a website I can advertise no. my house. How yeah. much? $10 million yeah, d- d- would be good? 25 why 25 not? million, why not? <laughs> why not? Uh, speaking of uh, things that are priceless, a Van Gogh painting has been uh, recovered in Italy. Tell me the story. So in 2002, thieves used ladders and a sledgehammer to break into Amsterdam's Van Gogh Museum. The thieves stole two Van Gogh paintings, and off they went. Security experts were really puzzled by the theft because guards were on patrol, plus the museum has infrared security. They actually jailed two people, and they claimed they were innocent. Fourteen years later, both priceless paintings have been recovered Italy's anti-mafia police raided a mafia-linked firm that likes to traffic in cocaine. The paintings were removed from their frames but are in good condition. They also recovered tens of millions of dollars worth of other stolen property. And, Andrew, this is just the most fascinating part of the story to me. It's not the actual theft. It's the fact that the Van Gogh Museum did not own these paintings. The paintings are owned by the Dutch government, and for some unknown reason, while they were on loan to the Van Gogh Museum, they were not insured. They were not insured. Yeah, good luck. Uh, yeah, and th- this one, uh, th- this one, the uh, the seascape there is considered priceless because he only did a couple of these. 
Exactly. So they've not put a figure on this, but the estimates, they have to be somewhere in the neighborhood of about, let's say, 40 to 50 million each. Okay. Uh, and tell me about the Florida woman who paid $50,000 to punch a jerk in the face. So this is Martin Shrekrelli, known around town as Pharma Bro because he raised the price of Daraprim from $13.50 per pill to 750 bucks. Martin had a PR advisor named Mike Kulik, but the advisor recently passed away in his sleep. So Martin wants to help out Mike's five-year-old son by auctioning off a punch or slap in the face and the winner is a woman from Florida who paid 50000 U.S. Her request is to, quote, repeatedly pummel Pharma Bro, and he has agreed, plus he will also match her donation. One other note, a memorial fund has been set up for the boy. The goal is fifteen grand, and so far just over 11000 has been raised. All right, and uh, Michael Kane from the Business News Network is hey, online. Andrew, I see on Twitter at 810 you're going to be talking to Bill the Spaceman Lee. That's right. He's quite the character, isn't he? He is. I interviewed him in the 80s when I was uh, working at a radio station in uh, Prince George, B.C., and he was all for moving to the headwaters of the Thompson River and just dropping off the grid. Yeah, he is the original free spirit. This yep. guy's fantastic. Yeah, they're... they're uh, they're going to be screening a uh, film uh, about uh, his life coming up uh, this Saturday, so we'll Sweet. give you more information. Yeah. Uh, so H and M started as a uh, as a one store in Sweden, I think, in 1947, and now they've got like 3,700 uh, stores around the world. And a lot of people really like this clothing retailer, but they're in trouble, are they? Look at you on Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, no, they're not really in trouble. They're experiencing the same thing that the other. Uh, trendy retailers are. Uh, they have a lot of stores in Europe, of course, uh, and believe it or not, well, it's easy to believe, the terrorist attacks that have occurred in France and Belgium have really cut down on tourism. And a lot of these high-end retailers, them, uh, Tiffany's, you name it, they are seeing a big drop-off in sales uh, because the stores that they really count on for uh, doing a lot of traffic are just not doing the business because tourists are not going to Europe because they're scared of ter terrorist attacks. That's, that's one thing. Right. Uh, so the H&M, Hannes and Moritz, has uh, issued a profit warning saying that the uh, September sales were way below what they expected, and so uh, the, the profit is going to be hit, and H&M shares uh, trading in Europe today are down 2.4%. All right. Uh, Bombardier wins a railway maintenance contract to extension in England. So what does this do for the – is this going to do anything to the stock price? Um, let me just check. Like 300 million bucks or something. It's 300 million dollars and trading in Germany right now. A lot of people don't realize that Bombardier trades in Germany, but it does. Holy crap. Uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the shares are down 2.14%. Oh, okay. Why would uh, that be? Um, I don't see anything else in the news stream that would suggest why that would be. Well, oh, here's one thing is that those shares trading in Germany from the first of the year, even with today's 2% drop, are still up 32%. Wow. So even though they win this rail maintenance con uh, contract in uh, extension in Britain, there would be a certain part of the market, a certain number of investors who would just sell on that news. They would just take advantage right. of the fact that the shares are up 32% and, uh, and just take, take the profit. On the uh, Toronto stock market, 
Let's see. On a year-to-date basis, uh, Bombardier shares are up 25%. All right. So the Toronto stock market was really the only one in North America that went up yesterday. What, how's it look today? Oil and gas stocks uh, were what were driving things, but also telecom stocks were up yesterday. Uh, and you know, <laughs> you know what it was? It was our parent company. It was Bell. Yeah. Uh, Bell was up substantially because the CRTC, no less, came out and said that Bell has the fastest broadband network in Canada. There's been this big battle between Bell and Rogers right. over who's got the fastest broadband network. And the CRTC, whom a lot of people slag, and Bell's had their problems with the CRTC, uh, but the commission came out yesterday and they said their studies indicate that Bell's got the fastest broadband wow. network. Wow. Well, you know what that means, Michael. What does it mean? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently it's good. Uh, well, here's the interesting thing. When I get back to the my little radio room, okay, after I hang up the phone, you and I are still talking. There, <laughs> there's still a lag. Oh yeah, that's right. On the internet, right? So it's fast. It's fast. Right. Um, but you know, there are technical limitations. Well, but it's going to get so fast. As I think as the, as the years go by, it's going to get so fast that it's actually going to go on the internet before it's on the radio at some <laughs> point. It'll be like electricity. It'll be like flipping a switch and be instantaneous. Right. Uh-oh, it's Dino. Sound asleep. What a break. Maybe I can sneak by him without going through his wild welcome home the master bit. I think I made it. Hey! <laughs> Yeah, so there's uh, Fred Flintstone getting attacked by Dino. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Denny Coderre's Fred Flintstone's catching on as a cartoon, uh, uh, Terry, but uh, uh, this is really no joke. This is is really serious, this Pitbull ban for a lot of people. It's starting to get international attention. Cindy Lauper just put something up denouncing Montreal up on her Facebook page. There's a a a Facebook video has been viewed 15 million times. And they're starting. They're starting to uh, adopt uh, our dogs in Calgary as sort of uh, dog refugees. Yeah. Well, yeah. it r- really, really, our city council is not the brightest group of collection of people. Uh, many times, but this is really silly. Have you been reading Basim Bashra in the in the uh, the Gazette? I mean, he's he's turned into an excellent city caller. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. And he's, he 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 gets it right. It is, there's one thing that should be mentioned, though, that he mentioned that when he sort of was vaguely in favor of it last June and wrote about it, he got some of the vilest mail from these dog supporters. Mm-hmm. So they can be they can be uh, very virtuous and, and 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 indignant and that sort of thing. I think there has to be a little more reasonable discussion on it. But nevertheless, I am in favor in general of. of 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 uh, people supporting their dogs. I mean, yeah, you're a dog. You're a dog guy. Yeah. yeah, I'm a dog guy, but I I'm also I'm in favor of people uh, you know walking down the street and not getting mauled by some sort of a dog. And I can understand what the motivation for this law was. But when you take course, a close but, uh, when you take a closer look at it, I mean, they've just put against all science and and uh, and recommendations and the and the previous experience of other big cities, they've just put their heads down and plowed ahead with this. Yeah, I know. I know, and it, it's the thing is that a startling statistic that came out of this that I wasn't aware of is that only twenty percent of dogs uh, in in Montreal are licensed. Yeah, twenty percent. So I think that's an area you can you you, you really have to go after making uh, making owners a lot more responsible for their dogs. 
but banning a breed is kind of ridiculous. You know, it's like it's like banning a race of people or something. It has that that overtone to it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does in a way. Um, so, uh, what your thoughts? I know the debate was last Tuesday. Uh, you, what's been the debate aftermath? Uh, you're, you're, you've got We're still to, puzzling over this, yeah. Andrew. I keep on thinking that this, you know an event will happen, an, an un, unbelievably stupid event with with Donald Trump, and I say, well, this has to be it. Then, then he jumps in the polls two percent. You just don't know with this guy. And, and even more of a puzzle is that uh, forty to forty-five percent of the American people who actually support this guy. I mean, that is the really disappointing thing to me, is that, that I thought a lot more of most Americans up until now. So anyway, it's uh, it's really a puzzling. We're all looking forward anxiously to see what the polls show. Surely to God he has to drop after that that atrocious debate where, I mean, she just she just played him hook, line, and sinker, didn't she? Did yeah, you see I, the debate? Yeah, I did. I saw I saw the debate, but I think what what, what some people, not everybody, you know, uh, is, is an Archie Bunker sort of supporter of uh, uh, of Donald Trump. A lot of people see in him the anti-politician, and they see in her the, the you know, the consummate the politician, yeah. the, the establishment, and it kind of sickens a lot of us. Just to, I to do see, understand yeah. the fact of people wanting, I mean, the Bernie Sanders phenomena, and I guess to a certain extent the Donald Trump, that that within the Beltway, uh, you know, it's his own world in Washington. And my God, it's uh, it's an atrocious situation there where they just sort of pay attention to themselves and not the rest of the country. But you and would, there has yeah. to be some sort of change, and I don't know that yeah. Hillary Clinton's the person to do that. Yeah, you would like to think that the leader of the free world has some sort of language skills and ability to communicate without, you know, using words like you're stupid, lame, uh, lousy, dumb, you know? Yeah, well, I missed Michelle Obama's uh, speech this week in support of Hillary Clinton, and she simply said, look, we really do need an adult <laughs> in the White House. I love that line. It's hey, I'm doing a thing tomorrow night oh, yeah, with what's Bill that? Lee. Oh, yeah, Bill Lee. We're going to talk with him later on. This is a, There's a movie out about him. Yeah. Right? There's, there's a, so they're good, they're, I haven't seen the film yet, so they're screening it twice, actually. Uh, tomorrow evening at Concordia, I think it starts at seven. There's a bit of a panel with people who know. Bill will be there, I gather. You never know with Bill. Yeah, but well, he's supposed to be there, like uh, Mitch Melnick, uh, people like that. Jonah yeah. Carey, also, yeah. who yeah. who is a Montrealer, who wrote probably the best book available on on the Expos, the history of the Expos. So it's going to be an interesting get together. Yeah, and uh, we'll, you know what, we'll post it. Can we post, uh, Sarah, at cj80.com how to get uh, information, how to get tickets to this thing? Because it is open to the public, and there's a whole range. I think the, the base ticket is 25 bucks. It's at the uh, the Sev Theater, uh, downtown campus, Concordia yeah, University. Yeah, McCoy and uh, Demasio there. And you can also get a sort of a meet and greet with a free drink at Hurley's for 100 bucks, I think, as well. Yeah, uh, well, I think I'll pass on that. <laughs> it's good to talk to you. Okay. Have a good weekend. Six fifty-four. Jocelyn is on the line from RDP. Is that correct, Jocelyn? That's right. Good morning. How you doing, Jocelyn? It's great. It's Friday morning, and I can be going to see Eric Church. I know you love Eric Church, do you? I really do. You like the uh, song "Creeping." Mm-hmm. Creeping. Creeping. Yeah. Creeping. All right. So, well, we're gonna play the the weekend sound. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, you got to get three out of five, and then you'll get the Eric Church tickets, and uh, it'll all be good. Okay. Okay. Here's the sound from the press conference given by Concordia, former Concordia professor uh, who was released by the Iranian government. It's wonderful to be home and be united with family and friends again. 
I've had a seven, bitter seven months, and the detention has really left me weak and tired. Jocelyn, what is her name? Like, mm. oh my goodness, I can't believe I, I don't remember. Uh, you want to pass? Think yes, about it? Okay. Yes. This is Michaela Fleming. A student if I was ever in a situation where I was, you know, sexually harassed or even sexually assaulted, would I still be asked what I was wearing? Yeah, she's a student who was asked to roll down her skirt. Mm -hmm. uh, who asked her to do that? The uh, police officers uh, at the Villa Maria Metro. That's right, a police officer. Thank you. Listen to this audio, the first debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. <laughs> what, what is that sound? That's uh, Donald Trump uh, sniffling. It is. One more, and uh, you're off to see your uh, boyfriend, Eric Church. Okay. This is an employee of the Laurentian Bank. Oh, it was actually pretty interesting in my book, because we understood what was his plan before. It was like a mystery, and we were worried about our jobs and everything. And it seems that he wanted to save most jobs. How many branches and or employees are they, quote-unquote, merging or doing away with? Uh, I believe it was 60 branches. It's 50 branches oh. and 300 employees. You know, I'm going to be tough on this one. Okay. Last chance. This is Alana Devine of the SBCA. All we wanted to do was sit down with the city and consult with them before they went forward in drafting and then proposing this bylaw. Uh, we never got any response, and now a bylaw has been adopted. Jocelyn, mm -hmm. for the Eric Church tickets, what does the new city bylaw ban? Pitbulls. Pitbulls. Congratulations. And the uh, the woman who returned home was Homa uh, Homa Hoodfar. Nice yeah. job. Well done, Jocelyn. You have a great day. Thank you. I will. Yeah, you good. And thank you for listening to CJAD. Ten years ago today, a Laval overpass collapsed, killing five people, injuring six others. It was a shocking event that rocked our confidence in our roads to the core. The resulting Johnson Commission made 17 recommendations to improve safety. One of the measures included more training for inspectors and engineers available 24-7 uh, to check out potential problems. It was uh, a year ago, uh, 10 years ago, uh, just before lunchtime, that the 911 calls started coming in from drivers along Highway 19 in Laval. And here's the crazy thing. People were saying there's concrete falling off the overpass. They sent out inspectors, picked up the chunks of concrete, but never closed the highway. So about an hour after the first calls came in, this huge portion of the highway collapsed, killing five people and injuring six. Uh, Rick Lechner's on the line. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Andrew. It is frightening. You know, it's, it's even more frightening when you think that uh, six years prior to that, we had the collapse in June of 2000 of the De Souvenir overpass. Mm -hmm. So you would have thought, right? In fact, after De Souvenir, they found some weakness on some of the overpasses of the DeCarry Expressway, and I would say that some work was done there, but not much more. And as is usually the case, it, it took this horrific incident uh, 10 years ago to uh, really uh, create, uh, I would think, a much better situation we have today. Is it foolproof? One never knows. But, you know, back then it was just, there were three things that really came together that I think people can relate to. One, a lack of proper funding because successive governments, Quebec governments, were continuously cutting back on the amount of money that they were putting into uh, road infrastructure repairs on an annual basis, shoddy workmanship, which we've all heard about, and really just a lack of inspection and a lack of monitoring. I mean, it was, it was unforgivable what happened. 
a lot of us, when we when we drive under these uh, overpasses now, uh, you, you know, you sort of look up and you hold your breath every time you you drive through and you and you wonder: is are the roads safer today than they were ten years ago? Or look, one has to hope so. By the way, you know, we're we're not alone in this. Uh, if you listen to some of what's going on in the states, uh, Hillary Clinton is is called the state of uh, disrepair of U.S. roads, uh, bridges, et cetera, as, as a national emergency, and she's pledged. I think it's $275 billion over the next five years. A lot of people have these issues. A lot of budgets, you know, when it comes to budget time, I guess they say, well, you know, how can we do this without doing that? And choices are made. Well, in this case, obviously, some wrong choices were made. But, you know, there was a natural reaction for people to to look up every time. I did it, too. Um, I can tell you, though, this committee that I continue to sit on, uh, Technical Committee of Mobility Montreal, you know, we coordinate or we recommend what work should be done and what work shouldn't be done so that at least there's a minimal to the extent possible of of traffic uh, nightmares in the same area. And one thing we don't touch are repairs to overpasses. And a lot of them have been added since the uh, Johnson report. Uh, They identified, I think it was 135 overpasses that needed repairs and tens and tens of millions of dollars have gone into that during uh, the year's succeeding uh, that disaster. Uh, Rick, can you, uh, last last weekend it was uh, just awful, uh, some of the closures. I mean, Highway 20 was closed in both directions, uh, you know, through much of, uh, fr- from the Turcot to Ville St-Pierre. we having any kind of the same closures this weekend? Not as bad, but uh, Champlain Bridge is closed. This is part of what they call, the, you know, the weekend blitz. So uh, the entire portion of the uh, southbound Champlain Bridge is closed, and there will only be two of the three lanes open inbound. I also think that Heading to the Champlain Bridge, uh, 15 south from Turcotte, will also be closed. That's from 10 o'clock tonight till 5 o'clock Monday morning. It's bad, but certainly should not be as bad as last weekend. Okay. So people would take the Victoria Bridge instead kind of thing? They're, they're actually yeah. going to offer an additional lane on the Victoria Bridge, those people who choose to use the Victoria Bridge. Some people have this great Victoria phobia, you know. Yeah, I know, because it's, it feels like you're... you're, you're like, you know, you're, you're driving you across can see the right through and it. you see water. <laughs> That's probably one of the better-built bridges, by the way. Well, it's been there since the 1860s, right? Exactly. So, yeah, that's way... And it was built by a railway. Yeah, okay, so they knew what they were doing. Les valeurs les plus profondes et les plus intimes, c'est-à-dire faire du Québec un pays. Yeah, so that was a long time ago, James. You know, it's it's funny. It reminds me, my, my brother used to get so excited for Halloween that he would throw up and he'd be too sick to go out. <laughs> uh, uh, Pierre-Carl Pelado is back after five months, and uh, he has a beard. Yes, he's looking very dapper, sort yeah. of a salt and pepper thing going there. He looks like he looks like what he actually always was, which is a a media mogul. I mean, uh, let's face it. Uh, I guess he gave it his best shot as trying to be leader of the Peuple Québécois. Uh, his leadership was nothing more than how can I put it a rather distracting parenthesis in what is an increasingly meandering history for the Peuple Québécois. Uh, let's face it, uh, in, in what, seven days, eight days, we're, we're going to be choosing a new leader. But that new leader, no matter who he or she will be, will have the benefit of a brand spanking new uh, institute for the research on the self-determination of peoples and uh, national independences. What? And that's a very, uh, exactly, <laughs> I mean, it's even better in French. Uh, it's basically another uh, a separatist think tank, and the rationale, and this is it's PKP. We're talking, folks. If you're just joining us, we're talking about PKP because even when he was leader of PQ, or, or he said he bankrolled this thing, and he and he has. 
so he showed up uh, last night, and he was scrummed, and he was, you know, I'm happy to be here, blah, 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 blah. This was a nice initiative. He didn't actually speak during, during the ceremonies, and, and you know, but, but his, his, I guess, the, 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 the star of his celebrity shines on this and will perhaps try to illuminate it in a, in a light different from every other think tank or every other special committee that's uh, existed over the past 40 years on, on the sovereignty of Quebec. In fact, I think the biggest challenge, I was listening to Trudy on the news, and, and we've got Daniel Turp, who is, the, who is the chairman of this thing, and he's a former Bloc uh, MP uh, and, uh, and an avowed sovereignist. Um, he has said the big challenge is to, to uh, engage young people. In, in the whole uh, idea of independence, because let's face it, that's the demographic that are getting killed at. I would respectfully submit their biggest challenge is going into that Indiana Jones-like warehouse that is full of studies on sovereignty and, and, and how, how federalism doesn't work that have been published over the past 40 years to no avail, gathering dust and scratching out the number 1986 and putting in, you know, 2017 to make it sound new. Uh, that's going to be the real problem here. Uh, there is, there, and, and, you know, joking aside, the Institute to one side as well, um, this is, this is uh, a, a real uh, a crossroads for the PQ. It doesn't matter who's in charge, and whether it's young people or middle-aged people or, or the elderly even, which seems to be the most popular uh, demographic for the Pepsi Québécois, uh, when you're running around saying, hey, 40% of, of, of the population, uh, you know, uh, supports our option, and it's been stuck there, and it's closer to, you know, 35, or, the, the fact is, it's, it's old news, and it is a very, uh, it's, it's a boomer governmental movement. It is uh, an option now that people have been trying to get going since the 1970s, and quite frankly, uh, it's an option that's probably run its course. So I don't, I, you know, you can have uh, five of these institutes going on. I don't really think you're going to uh, give the uh, the shot of adrenaline that the sovereignty movement needs. I, I've seen this uh, problem from uh, both sides: the inability of uh, bicycles and cars to coexist uh, very well yeah. on the uh, on the roads. Um, why are, why are the feds getting involved? Oh, I think it's more a matter of optics. We had uh, we had a death uh, of a cyclist in Ottawa. We've had at least two here in in Montreal in in recent weeks. Uh, let's cut to the chase on this one. They can have all the committees they want. The bottom line is the municipalities want more money, uh, basically to fix up their road net. I would be happy if the city of Montreal, and not just for the sake of cyclists, but for the sake of everyone, cyclists, pedestrians, and motorists, had a uniform system of traffic signals throughout the entire city, which it still doesn't have. I've been covering that story for 35 years. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it, it is it is very daunting. Uh, but let's face it, uh, in Quebec, because Quebec's supposed to have the transport ministry is supposed to be a part of this as well. Uh, we're going through transport ministers the way a hay fever sufferer goes through Kleenex. So I don't know who exactly they think they're going to be talking to up in Quebec City about this issue. I doubt it's a priority right now because let's face it, it, it should be because you know the governments everywhere are saying, yeah, get on your bike. We, you know, it's marvelous. It's very dangerous because as you say, that that coexistence, that formula for coexistence hasn't been determined. But I think at the end of this, whether it's six months or a year, because I know. It's there's no deadline in this, which is not a good sign. Uh, all we're going to see is money, you know, money go from Ottawa to, say, the municipalities or, or to the provinces, which will then dollop it out to the municipalities. We'll probably see a few more uh, yellow, yellow, yellow lines in Montreal for, you know, more bicycles. But like I say, uh, will they attack the, the problem head on? I'm not entirely. I'm not very optimistic about that happening. You have a good weekend. Good to talk you to you. All right. Uh, Dr. Mitch Shulman's online. Hi, Dr. Mitch. Good morning to you. So our health minister, Gaetan Barrett, saying that there's actually too many doctors in the province sounds to me like at, at first glance like uh, like saying there's too much food in a refugee camp or there's too much water in the desert. 
Like, Enough said. You're entirely right. Like, what, Look, what is this? That's the problem when you have government-involved ministries and bean counters involved. They look at the giant number of doctors, and they chunk in their numbers, and they say, these are many are graduating, and it costs us X number, bing, 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 and the actuaries and the accountants are very happy. What they don't realize is this assumes that our population isn't aging. This assumes that all doctors are going to continue to practice if they're going to be. Then what's happening is they're trying to force doctors to see more patients. So rather than letting the system handle itself and figure out, they're afraid to. They have to stick their finger into the pie and muck it up. Every time they do this, they muck it up. They've never gotten the numbers right over all the years. And they cut back some years the number of doctors being trained, and they increase them because they get into trouble. They are, do this so badly that they sh you'd, you'd think by now that people would realize that they can't do it and just take them out of the loop completely. The bottom line is it assumes that Law 20 works, that they're going to force doctors to see all the patients that they want, that all the specialists are going to do. What they don't take into account is maternity leaves, paternity leaves, retirement to some degree, uh, doctors who don't want to do a full load, doctors who are doing research, doctors who would rather be teaching. So it's mindless, it's insane, and it's yet another example of why you shouldn't let government bean counters stick their mitts into this process, once again, they're going to muck it up for all of us. Right, and the, the strangest thing, and I, I, which I don't understand, is is Gaetan Barrett is a doctor, and in fact, not now. in fact, the not now. The, the, not. but the premier is also a doctor. Well, I mean, they're they're, they're former not. doctors. They're not. What they are right now is they're beholding to the Treasury Board. They're beholding to the. He doesn't. He's not doing. Um, being a doctor, he's not taking care of patients. He's shuffling numbers around so his budget works. And that's all they care about now. Gaetan Barretim has said it in so many words himself. Criard RPM has said the same thing. They don't, they, when was the last time any of these people saw patients and dealt with them in a preventative manner? We need doctors doing preventative medicine to reduce the number of visits to our hospitals and to get our population healthier. We need more doctors so they can spend time with their patients and not order unnecessary tests. And when they look at the cost, they fail to take into account that if I don't have enough time to sit mm -hmm. with my patient, I order unnecessary tests. You know what we need? They just don't take it into account We need all. more Dr. Mitch Shulman's. That's what we need. Oh, you're so sweet. Hey, you, have a, you, have, you have a sweet New Year. Happy New Year, and uh, thanks Thank very much. Thank you to everyone listening. A happy and healthy New Year. All the best to everyone listening. It's a 7.57. That's a Dr. Mitch Shulman. Sports Illustrated's Michael Farber, brought to you by Dagwoods and the Large Geno Sandwich. Have your fresh toppings any way you like. Now only $7 at Dagwoods. Hey, Sean Starr. Good morning. Well, some Canadian fans, I suppose, were in an uncomfortable position cheering on a Boston Bruin at the World Cup. Here's Taves. Canada's been about winning this game right here. Marshall! Good morning, Michael Farber. Good morning. They were wearing red, not <laughs> black and gold. No, they so weren't. It's, uh, absolutely permitted, and in fact, welcome, welcome by me especially, because it put this donkey to bed. <laughs> not uh, a fan, I take it then. <laughs> no, and by donkey to bed, I'm not referring to me necessarily. All that was true. You know, I had such high hopes because my basic theory was this: it's better to have great hockey in September than exhibition NHL hockey. 
and I was disappointed. Uh, it just didn't work out that way after a very, very promising start in the exhibition games, Canada-U.S., uh, the, the Czech-Russia game was good, Finland-Sweden, uh, and then it just kind of went piffed. And if it, if it weren't for the, the young stars, uh, the 23-and-under team, uh, this would have been a disaster. But I'm sure uh, we will see its iteration again in 2020, and we'll move on. Yeah, what, what do you think happened, right? Because I'm with you in that sense that you know Canada-USA in the prelims was, was fantastic, right? It was physical, it was confrontational. And yet, as Canada went deeper and deeper into this tournament, and I think it was showcased in the final two games in the finale, that they weren't the better team. And Team Europe played, you know, a defensively tight game, and Canada just kind of got away from what made them exciting earlier. Well, let, let's disabuse the notion here, Sean, that Team Canada is too good and we need a Ryder Cup format. Mm-hmm. You know, what has to happen is Russia has to develop a couple of defensemen. Huh. I mean, and they haven't had a great defenseman since Sergei Zubov, with all due respect to Andre Markov. Right. Uh, it's close. It's a lot closer than you want to think. Team Canada is not the 1992 men's U.S. Olympic basketball team. It just isn't. Uh, and on a given night, it can be close. I mean, the triumph in Sochi, the overpowering win over the U.S. in the semifinals was one nothing, uh, And it was a lopsided one nothing game, but still... Uh, Canada has great depth and great players and better players than everybody else and can, you know, go 40 deep. Some countries can only go 15 deep. Um, But this can be a successful tournament if it's nation on nation and other countries get just a little bit better and they get a couple of bounces. And Europe put together a good game plan. Roman Yossi was good. Um, Kopitar is good. There were some good players there and it made for soporific hockey in the end but at least competitive. Can we call it the triumph in Toronto, one of hockey's greatest vanquishes? Well, Andrew, it's your show. You can call it whatever you want. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fans eating sushi while watching the game in Toronto. <laughs> Awful. Have a good weekend. Is that ju- what they're eating with chopsticks? They were. They were eating sushi there. right behind uh, Canada's bench. You see them with chopsticks. It was either that or they were going to poke their eyes out. <laughs> You're listening to the Andrew Carter Podcast. Hear the show live weekdays 530 to 9 on CJAD 800. You know what I tell those people? What do you tell those people? I tell them that Bill Lee is one hell of a fine left-handed pitcher. <laughs> He's also one of the most thoughtful players I've ever met. Did you actually say you sprinkle marijuana on your oatmeal? No, I said pancakes. It helps with anxiety. Well, I can't believe this. Uh, there's a movie about uh, called Spaceman, uh, a biographical film about Bill Lee. And uh, Bill the Spaceman Lee is on the line right now. Good, good morning. Good morning. What a great pleasure to speak with you. How, how are you? Well, thank you. Yeah, I used to do your show, George and I, uh, a yeah. long time ago in a country far, far away. I was looking at yeah. your, I was looking at your, uh, your bio here, and I can't believe you're, you're uh, like uh, seventy years old. Where'd the time go? Yeah. Well, after last night, I can see where it goes. After <laughs> what happened last the, night? <laughs> oh, there was a big party here. Uh, they showed my other movie, A Profile of a Picture, which was my original Canadian movie which was adapted into Spaceman, uh, not Spaceman, but it was called... Uh, a Baseball oh, Odyssey. They, yeah, the yeah. Baseball Odyssey one. And then I saw me running down Notre Dame Avenue really young with my hair not gray and yeah. 
wearing really tight shorts, and I could see why I got in trouble. <laughs> Spaceman uh, 2016 version. It says here it's a biographical film about Bill Lee, written and directed by Brett Rapkin, and starring Josh Duhamel. So this is a really holly. This is uh, he's in all the Transformer movies. He was in uh, Las Vegas. He's a real actor. So this is a real Hollywood film. Yeah, it's a. Uh, let's put it this way: they they made it for under a million dollars. So it, uh, you know, the, the poor long gay senators, the team I played for, they uh, they don't get really good uniforms, and they they play on a little league field actually, which happened to be the field when I saw the filming was the one I started out on in uh, in little league back in California. Really, right there on the Burbank Los Angeles line on the Los Angeles River. So. I went, Brett, how could you pick the only field, the field I started on? And uh, it had a lot of quirks in it, but it, it uh, he does a great job of playing me, I'll tell you that. Yeah. You, li- you like the movie? I like, no, I don't like the movie. It's hard to watch. <laughs> really? For me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's hard to watch. It's, it's about the two worst weeks of my life. And uh, I got released and I got divorced, but uh, I told Brett that, you realize that those two occurred in separate years, so it should have been a football movie, and you should have got a 15-yard penalty for piling on. So <laughs> what, that's what, how what, so my tell rapport. Me, well, tell me about when that was and and and, and what happened. Well, I I came to Montreal in '79. We had that first breakout year where we almost made it the World yeah. Series, and then '80 came. And uh, I remember it was a tragedy. We lost it on the last weekend to the Phillies. And then 81 came, and uh, that was uh, just a tough year, too. We lost, and that's when I went through my divorce. And then 82, I get released by the Expos in the spring, and that's when I ended up going to the Long Gay Senators. So they, they kind of got the timing wrong, right. but uh, they that's what – Brett wanted to show. He wanted to show this guy that goes into the depths of depravity and then gets kind of reborn. And I end up, you know, I end up in Moncton. I end up playing for New Brunswick. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. I settled in Vermont. Uh, I'm close. I still do with Mitch Milnick. I do. I've been doing radio. Everybody hears me in the afternoon. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, so Nobody... I do that, and I'm I'm around, and uh, you know I'm only my dentist, uh, all my dentists, my oral surgeons, uh, everybody, my dermatologist, my my orthopedic surgeon, they're all Montrealers. So I'm, you know, basically I I live in the Montreal suburbs. It just happens to be 200 <laughs> miles away. Uh, Bill Spaceman Lee is on the line. I, I Aislinn tells me a story about how uh, when you when you left that day when you walked out and then came back and you ended up shooting pool with him in a tavern. How is that true? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened? That Tell was, me exactly what happened that day. Oh, it's, uh, I, I come into the ballpark. We'd gotten beaten the night before by the Dodgers. I was hung over and, uh, we had a team meeting and Fanning came in and yelled and screamed at us that he was the only ball player. He said, I got a pair of white boxing gloves. And he says, my father, only president I ever appreciated. And I'm not to put them on, and I'll fight any of you guys that think you're better than this organization. And I threw a chair at him. I said, me first, you son of a... And I went like that. And uh, Andre Dawson grabbed me, and Fanning ran behind and ran into his office. And I was furious, and then I went for a run because I had thrown three and a two-thirds innings. I wasn't going to pitch that day. So I ran. Uh, I ran about... Five miles, which I usually do, and uh, came back. And Rodney was at the, at his, uh, he was in his civilian clothes, 
And I'm going, Rodney, what, what happened? He says, you missed the meeting. He says, yeah. I said, I got, did you get fined? He went, I got worse. I got released. And then I went after Fanning. I went nuts. I ran into Aislinn, and Aislinn said, calm down. Let's go over here to the bar. So we went to the uh, Soissons de Set on Hochelag and LaSalle and uh, shot pool and drank till the eighth inning. And then uh, I went back, and my arm felt pretty good after drinking <laughs> them six beers. So I said, I'll go back and watch the, or go to the bullpen. And then the next day I get released by McHale, and uh, all hell broke loose. Who plays Rod? Your team went. Your team went right down into the yeah. dumps after that. Fryman hurt his arm, and you needed me, and you didn't have me. Yeah, I know. It's a it's a shame. It really is. Uh, who plays Rodney Scott in this film? Uh, that's a good question. I think he's a guy uh, that played in that uh, fight movie. He's an a-, a good actor. Right. You know, he Gary got a very very small role. There's a lot of good actors in it that have very sh- short abbreviated roles. It's it's animated in parts because they had to. They couldn't show a lot of the baseball scenes, but it uh, it, it flows pretty good. It, uh, yeah. I have to say, with what they had and what they did, you know, they did pretty good. But it's definitely uh, it's a microcosm of it shows my emotions, and I think it shows it for the right reasons, and that's uh, that's all that really matters to me. It's Sterling Brown. We found the name of the the guy who's uh, who, who plays Brown, Rodney Scott. It's uh, it's so good to speak with you, and I, you're going to be uh, at uh, Concordia at the uh, Desev Cinema tomorrow, seven o'clock. Yes, I am. I'm going to be there, and uh, we're going to see it twice. We're going to go down onto Crescent Street where I used to live, and uh, we'll tear it up like old times. Yeah, you know, and uh, <clears throat> I've got. Uh, I've got 12 hours, or I'm actually it's tomorrow, right? So I yeah. got 24 hours. So I'm, I'll be in, I'll be in fine shape once I get this frog out of my throat. <laughs> it's really good to talk to you. Thank you very much. You take care. Wow, that sounds good. I, I, I need my ska fix. Um, Sarah DeHay with what's going on this weekend. I'll have good news for you because it is the Ska Fest this weekend. Uh, over at the Catacombs and Pitti Campus, there's a whole array of bands playing, including the Planet Smashers, who we're listening to right now. There's also Downtown Fiasco, Danny Rebel, and the KGB, and the Lost Kung Fu Monkeys. <laughs> the lot. I really right. like that one. Uh, <laughs> Clown Festival. The Clown Festival. So this isn't the first <laughs> time someone has tried to start a clown festival right. in Montreal, uh, but it is appropriate because, A, we're the current capital of circus in the world, and uh, we have to have a festival for everything here in Montreal. So I know the folks putting this first edition of the Clown Fest together, they're mainly headquartered at Mainline Theatre on Saint Laurent. Uh, you can catch Les Bunheads. These are really goofy ballerinas. They, they look like beautiful, elegant women with top buns and, and beautiful tutus, but then they get really goofy and act like clowns mm-hmm. um, and they're from Montreal and there's also out of town clowns like Bianca Mays who are in town is mm. Barrette going to be there? Yeah, <laughs> special guest to get Tom Barrette <laughs> it's going to be cracking jokes about doctors all weekend uh, the Black Film Festival is also around this is the 10th anniversary um, Spike Lee's going to be in town tomorrow night for a Q&A after uh, the screening the Canadian premiere uh, of the documentary called Michael Jackson's Journey from Motown to Off the Wall. So if you're a fan of Spike Lee, you can ask him questions. This is happening at Concordia. Cool. Not the first time he's been there, actually. And anyone who's followed the Black Lives Matter movement over the past couple of years will want to be at a panel discussion about this on Sunday afternoon. 
Now, Park Emily Gamble, that is the park that's squeezed between Barry Metro, the National Library, and the bus station downtown. It was kind of grotty looking a couple years ago. It's been refurbished now, and uh, they're closing out their summer season with a full-day party on Sunday that includes uh, live music, life-size games, and urban agriculture workshops, amongst other things. Urban agriculture. Yeah. All right. And tomorrow and Sunday, it's the end show. I'll bring my cow. You'll bring your cow. Milking, <laughs> 11 to 2. Uh, the Long Haul is a nonprofit artist collective which is celebrating 15 years of providing affordable studio spaces. And every year they do a fundraiser based around one letter of the alphabet. So it's been 15 years and they are at N. So this weekend is wow. the N show. And artists have put together lots of artwork inspired by the letter N. So some of the great uh, art I've seen on Facebook riffs on things like nap, network, nocturnal, and nude. I think I'm going to wait for P. Okay. Yeah. It's also a Journée de la Culture this weekend. This is like a kind of like hundreds and hundreds of cultural events happening all over the province with it, like everything from art to music to theater to circus. And some of the things you can catch here, there's 30 years of public art in Lachine. Uh, there's an African guitar music exhibit at uh, in DDO. Yep. And the National Theater School is letting you peek into their wardrobes for a dress okay. up day. Can we get to the burlesque? Yeah. It's 80s night tonight at the Wiggle Room and yeah. performers include... Honeysuckle Pussy Willow. Honeysuckle Pussy Willow. She's one of my favorites. And uh, the Spaceman movie premieres uh, screens tomorrow night at uh, Concordia That's downtown. Right. Uh, you can get all of this list and uh, the link to how you get tickets to see Spaceman uh, at uh, cjad.com. This sportscast brought to you by Empire Gold. Nobody pays more for your gold and silver than Empire. Nobody. And that's a guarantee. Details at empiregold.ca. Every time I hear about clowns, I think about a story that DeMonte told me one time about how uh, years ago in Winnipeg, he gets on an elevator with a buddy, and they're a little tipsy. They, they're riding up to the 14th floor. Elevator opens about halfway up. Clown walks on. Guy dressed as a clown carrying a grocery bag and smoking a cigarette. So they lose it. Right. And the guy goes, what's the matter? Never seen a clown before? <laughs> and it was just, there were three things that really came together that I think people can relate to. One, a lack of proper funding because successive governments, Quebec governments, were continuously cutting back on the amount of money that they were putting into uh, road infrastructure repairs on an annual basis, shoddy workmanship, which we've all heard about, and really just a lack of inspection and a lack of monitoring. I mean, it was it was unforgivable. What happened? Uh, that's uh, Rick Lecter from earlier this morning, the 10th anniversary of the De La Concorde overpass, uh, which collapsed on uh, Highway 19 in Laval. After uh, people had called about the hour before, uh, people had called and said, hey, there's pieces of concrete falling off this overpass. Inspectors came, picked up the concrete, didn't close the road. An hour later, uh, down comes the whole thing, killing five people. Um, Aaron Rand's on the line. Good morning, Aaron. Hi, Andrew. Are you one of these people who, uh, when you when you drive on the highway, you look up and every time you go under an underpass, you say, overpass, you say, "Wow, like that's that looks like it's going to come down." Well, I think we're all sort of sensitized to that now. You know, after this terrible tragedy, I think a lot of us kind of approach them warily. But I mean, what's your choice? You don't have a choice here. But and, and I, it's kind of hard to listen to Rick talk about that and realize, you know, of all the places to cut money from, that would have been the worst. Yet it didn't seem to bother any government. So. Ultimately, we paid the price. 
Uh, will the Pitbull ban come back to bite Denny Coderre? It seems that it will. I mean, against uh, I, what I don't understand about this, Aaron, is that he just, they just put their heads down and they went ahead and they plowed yeah. through this, despite you know the the previous experience of other big cities and and you know the the science the science apparently of the whole thing. Makes yeah, I sense. think that's really the key. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's just I, I think most people would agree something needed to be done, but I think most people would also agree at the same time. The city just went too far, too fast in passing this. I'm, I'm not sure what the rush was here. And again, Montreal, you saw the story yesterday, uh, Cindy Lauper uh, starting a petition suggesting people boycott Montreal because yeah. of this. Other celebrities joining in. Uh, Sophia Bush is behind this. Richard Marx has got a petition going. I mean, it's crazy. And I think the, the part of this that really worries me the most, if you look down the, the rules, the regulations in this bylaw, it doesn't apply just to pit bulls. We kind of stopped the conversation there. But we're talking here about cats and just about any kind of pet you would have. And here's the worst of all. This bylaw says after the uh, eight inspectors that are being hired by the city to enforce it, they can enter your home without a warrant to make sure that you're actually going ahead with these rules and regulations, which seems kind of crazy. Yeah, no, that does seem a little onerous. But also, it's, it's, it's embarrassing that people now in Calgary are yeah. adopting our dog refugees. Calgary, Saskatchewan, yeah. and out in the Maritimes, there's a group that's set up to do exactly the same thing. So it's amazing to see them come together to help out on this. I wonder, though, how does the mayor backtrack? When he comes home from Lebanon, where he is now for some conference, what's he going to do? Does the mayor back down on this? Remember, he tried to pass the Kalesh ban. Mm-hmm. It was overturned. He tried to get stuff done in Plashaw Karche. It was overturned. So what happens now? Does he admit he went too far too fast on this? You know, the only good part of this Here's Montreal getting international attention, which is obviously what the mayor loves, but it's the wrong kind of attention. To me, the only good thing in this law is it doesn't force the dogs to bark in French. <laughs> uh, you know, what's, what's amazing, too, this is the big story uh, today that people are shaking their heads. Uh, uh, Health Minister uh, Gaetan Barrett, uh, in an interview with the Journal de Montréal, saying that we have about 2,000 too many doctors. Kind of first reaction is to what you go, I'm sorry, where is he living? Yeah. That's insane. And I heard Dr. Mitch before. I don't usually hear him that angry. Yeah. But it's not even. And the part that's bizarre to me is the fact that Paul Brunet, who's a patient's rights advocate, came on and said he agreed with the health minister. We have too many doctors. And then when you start listening to what they're saying, it's not even a matter of we have too many doctors. He's basically finding a way to accuse doctors here of being lazy. He says we have no more, no less doctors than in any other province, but they don't see as many patients as everywhere else. So for all intents and purposes, that's exactly what he's saying. He's calling our doctors slackers. Well, yeah, it's like doctors aren't allowed to have children. The doctors aren't allowed to retire. Doctors aren't allowed to take sabbaticals. Doctors aren't allowed to teach if they want to. You know, it's nonsense. And and this comes from a a doctor. Yeah, which I don't. It's kind of crazy. Um, I, what kind of, uh, superstars or, uh, guests do you have on the, on the Aaron Rand show today, Aaron? Uh, I'm going to have Babe Ruth on a little later on today, Fantastic. after 4 o'clock. <laughs> the Babe, fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to have the Babe on the show today. And uh, we're trying to get a hold of Cindy Lauper, trying to get her to explain why she's so passionate about this whole pit bull band. So both these things could happen. Okay. But she says she's sleeping right now. She drove all night, you know. Ah, well, there's there's a small okay. problem there, yeah. Have a great uh, have a great day, Aaron. Good to talk you to you. You're my favorite. 52, Guido Cocomello is a Montrealer comedian, actor, trying to make it big in uh, the big movie world in Los Angeles. He's back this weekend to headline at the Comedy Works, and he's right here in our CJD studios.
Good morning, Guido. Good How morning. Are you? Good, great. You know, when I saw your name, uh, Guido Cocomelo, <laughs> I thought I thought if this was the 1940s and you were trying to make it in L.A., uh, they would uh, they tell you to change your name to John Gray or something yep, like that. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I remember, like I was saying before, uh, 15 years ago when I studied theater uh, in New York, I uh, went to a New Actors Workshop, which is um, it was Mike Nichols' uh, school. And uh, after that, when um, I had my first agent, they did tell me I should change my name. Uh, so when I went, when I moved to LA three months ago and I met with some, uh, management, I asked them, is it, do I need, cause I really don't want to, it's, I'm like 38 now, what's the, and they're like, no, 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 it's great. It's so different. It's catchy. So it's almost like, I don't know if it's like in West coast thing or if it's, you know, 15 years later, everybody's kind of like, no, everything's cool. Or because I do comedy and they think it's funny, so it's catchy. Did they ever change? Did you ever change your name at that oh time? Oh my god! I, I even changed. I even changed it when I started acting here. First, it was Mel Ray, because Mel? Uh, yeah, my first agent here thought I looked like Mel, a young Mel Gibson. So they said, "Use Mel." And what's your dad's name? I said Ray. So they said Mel Ray. <laughs> then uh, I mean, if you go on IMDb, I'm under like eight names. It, uh, I had uh, Guido Mello, Ray Cocomello, and then now. My real name, Guido Cocomel. Yeah, I've changed four or five times. I'm like Jason Bourne. <laughs> so, what what's it like to try to to make it in uh, in Hollywood? It's uh, I really didn't go there with the. To me, making it is just basically, you know, like making a living off um, stand up or acting. That's really why I wanted to go there because the opportunity. There's just so much more opportunity there, and. Um, with everything, um, you know, once I've accomplished a few goals that I set for myself here in Canada, which I've completed, meaning one is, you know, getting on Just for Laughs. I was lucky enough last year to be a part of Just for yeah. Laughs and then headlining clubs across the country. Once I did that, I figured I'd like to start over in a bigger market. Um, so uh, that's really what my goal is to start okay, over. Okay, so here's, here's the thing, though, in Los Angeles. I mean, every all the actors go there. They try, yeah. you know. So yeah. you've got like the waiters are more talented than the most talented actor <laughs> you know normally. Yeah. Uh, just to get an agent, yeah, is a difficult thing. So what kind of are you getting auditions? What are you doing? I uh, no, I haven't auditioned yet. I my first few months there was really uh, testing out the territory, just uh, especially all the open mics and comedy scenes. I didn't really think about acting yet. Uh, but uh, I did. Somebody did see me at a show, uh, manager. So I did sign with management, and they uh, and and they. When I get back, will introduce me to a few agents. I'll interview with a few agents. So mm -hmm. it just it just happened uh, like that. Right. But I really concentrated on comedy uh, for the three months that I was there. I didn't concentrate on acting yet. When I go back, I will. Okay. Now, yeah. uh, how would you describe your style of comedy? Is it uh, is it? Uh, you know. I, I I just tell stories about my life okay. uh, experiences, whether when I was single, now that I'm married and two kids. So it's I'm more of a storyteller. Uh, and um, that's exactly my style. Just I, I tell stories okay. throughout. Comedy Works, you're doing uh, how Com many nights? Comedy Works, we did uh, uh, last night. It was almost sold out. We had a great show last night, 8.30. We have tonight uh, two shows, 8.30 and 10.30, and uh, Saturday as well, 8.30 and 10.30 at uh, the Comedy Works on Bishop. Guido, it's nice to see you. I wish you all the best Thank of luck. Thank you so much. It was yeah. great. Uh, Guido Cocomello at uh, the Comedy Works this week. Listen to the Andrew Carter Morning Show live weekdays 5.30 to 9 on CJAD 800 and at CJAD.com.